Tonight, in the presence of our Prophet and his counselors, we gratefully remind ourselves and testify to the world that the Relief Society was divinely organized by a loving Heavenly Father acting through the Prophet Joseph Smith, and we witness that it continues to be led by Prophets of God. I am humbled to be here with all of you in this General Relief Society meeting to hear the counsel of President Gordon B. Hinckley, our prophet for our time. We need his voice to guide us now as surely as our sisters needed a prophet's invent, inter, intervention in 1842 when they brought to Joseph Smith a constitution for a female benevolent society in Nauvoo. They approached the prophet Joseph and ask his counsel on their desire to serve in the kingdom by organizing themselves by their plan. He said he had something better for them, an order and a purpose which required priesthood leadership so that their good desires could bear even better fruit. Many organizations compete for our time. In fact, our commitments to callings in the various organizations of the Church can cause us to think we're not working in Relief Society now, or we may say, when I was in the Relief Society. Sisters, as members of the Church, we are always in Relief Society. Yet it is not uncommon for women, especially those either new to the Church or new to the Relief Society, to ask, what is Relief Society for? Why should I participate? How can it help me? All of us can benefit by reflecting on these questions and on the answers our prophets have given us and will yet give us on occasions such as this. Quite simply, we participate in Relief Society out of the understanding that this is God's organization for us and the conviction that, as He promised through His prophet, because of it, we shall rejoice and knowledge and intelligence shall flow down from this time. Or, in the words of the prophet's mother, Relief Society is where we can instruct one another, cherish one another, that we may all sit down in heaven together. Sisters, we do need instruction. We need cherishing, and we need to cherish others. All teachers and most experienced students know the relationship between these two principles. We cannot teach those whom we do not love. We cannot learn from those who do not love us. Consider how the very powers of modern communications that promise to make of our world an interconnected network are the cause of much public worrying about our increasing isolation from one another. Even privately in our wards, and yes, in our families too, we sometimes find ourselves and often hear of others who feel isolated or downright unloved because there is neither the time nor a sufficiently legitimate purpose to connect across the hall or across the street. It is that increasing vacuum of connecting one to another or among our families or within our ward family that calls us increasingly to participate in Relief Society. Peter gave strong instruction to the saints of his day, which applied to both men and women. May I reference it as it applies particularly to us? Quote, Have fervent charity among yourselves. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. 
as every woman hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God." Unquote. How I would like to transfer the power of that scripture to every Relief Society meeting yet to be held. Would that something could happen every time that would cause each woman present, whether married or single, working at home or away from home, momentarily secure or immediately desperate, to feel her Heavenly Father's Spirit and her sister's unfeigned love and encouragement. Remember, my sisters, charity never faileth. This is more than our motto. It is our divine commission. As sisters, let us love one another and love our brethren in this great work. Let us show in our charity our faith. Quote, Cleave unto charity, which is the greatest of all. It endureth forever. And whoso is found possessed of it at the last day, it shall be well with her. Wherefore, my beloved sisters, pray unto the Father with all energy of heart that ye may be filled with this love which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ. The Relief Society was organized by God's prophet Joseph and has been led and is led today by a prophet so that we may become true followers of Jesus Christ. That is the answer to the question, why Relief Society? That is why we participate, and that is what it can do for us. Instruct us more perfectly in our covenant obligations and promises to be disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or, as Joseph Smith instructed those first sisters in 1842, quote, This society is not only to relieve the poor, but to save souls, unquote. What does it mean to save souls? Let me give one example of the many I have witnessed as I have visited among you. A South African sister once told me that when her husband died and she was left to rear their six children, she relied on the teachings of the Bible for direction. She often pondered the meaning of Proverbs 13, verse 24, which is widely interpreted as spare the rod and spoil the child. When she joined the Church, she turned to the Book of Mormon too for understanding. There she found mention of another rod, the Word of God, which leads one along the path to the tree of life. Then she understood that sparing this rod would certainly spoil her children. Thus she has learned to order her home, to bring the light of the gospel, to save the souls of her children. I saw Sister Mavin Bella again very recently when she received an award at Brigham Young University as she has and she has enlarged her sphere. In conversation, she told me that by participating in her Relief Society in Soweto, she has learned to apply its saving ways within her community. Using visiting teaching and welfare principles such as those described in the Church's manual providing in the Lord's Way, she has supervised more than a thousand children as they learn to garden and raise food for themselves and others. She has also enlisted more than 250 grandmothers in her community to help with the many tasks essential to the temporal and spiritual nurturing of children and the strengthening of families. Sister Mavin Bella is saving souls. 
She is in the great and the same mold of the, as those women such as Eliza Arsenal, Phoebe Kimball, Dinah, Zina D.H. Young, who began to visit one another in Nauvoo for the purpose of feeding hungry families and shoring up struggling faith in difficult times. This is what Relief Society is for, to make of us women who can nourish body and soul, who can succor God's children according to their infirmities. This is the work our Savior did, and it is the work to which he called us when he ordered this society under the direction of the priesthood. To speak so simply of Sister Mavin Bella's work can make it sound simple. We know it is not. These are complicated times, whether we live in Soweto or San Francisco or Sapporo or San Paulo. It is so complicated, in fact, that, quote, if possible, they shall deceive the very elect who are the elect according to the covenant, unquote. What will make it not possible for his disciples to be deceived is the capacity to discern the voice of truth from among all others that ask for our obedience. The word of God given us in scripture is indeed an iron rod which leads us on the path to eternal life. There the truth is spelled out. It can be held on to. It has been tried in the experience of generations. But not all truth brings a long tradition of acceptance with it. It requires us to know it when we see it. The Spirit must witness these things to us, make us recognize them as true, as of God. Consider the Savior's image when he spoke of the necessity of discerning truth. He likens knowing the truth to receiving living water. That is water that is fit to drink pure, running water. He tells the woman at the well, quote, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Unquote. When I think of life-saving water and of wells, I also think of Hagar. Hers is a complicated family story. She is forced alone into the wilderness of Beersheba with her young son, Ishmael. In due time, the water and the bread she has taken with her into the desert are consumed, and thirst and hunger overwhelm her and her little boy. Because she cannot bear to hear the cries of her son, the record tells us she puts him in a shaded place and goes a good way off. There she too lifts up her voice and weeps. In response, an angel of God appears to comfort her and remind her that she is not forsaken. Then we are told, quote, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water, unquote. We, like Hagar, are required to see a well of water. We, like the woman at the well, must ask of the Lord, give me this water that I thirst not. This is the purpose of Relief Society. It teaches us as daughters of God how to see and how to ask for that which we need of the Lord so that we need not thirst again. Remember the Prophet Joseph's promise to us that through the society we shall rejoice and knowledge and intelligence shall flow? We must act so as to receive this promise. It does not come by removing ourselves a good way off. 
Sisters, I ask you to stand close to one another, love one another, even cherish one another, that you may have the Spirit to teach you the truth of all things. Instruct one another. Look with the discernment God has given you through the gift of the Holy Ghost. Listen for the still, small voice. I ask you to seek instruction in the Word of God, both as written in the scriptures uh, to prophets of old and as spoken tonight by a living prophet. See the well. Ask for the water that you thirst not. Obtain the promises which are held out to you by a loving Father in heaven through the atonement of his only begotten Son, who he promised, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give her shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give her shall be in her a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. I testify that this is true, that we are bound together in his Church by his priesthood power to be able to build his kingdom on earth and to rejoice in our knowledge of him. And this I say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My brethren and sisters, it's wonderful that we have the opportunity of meeting together each six months in these great world conferences. We gather from over the earth to bear our testimonies one to another, to hear instruction, to mingle together as brethren and sisters. We partake of that sociality which is so pleasant and so important a part of the culture of this great organization. For more than a century, these gatherings have originated in this historic tabernacle. From this pulpit has gone forth the word of the Lord. Through the years, the speakers have come on the stage and then moved on. The personalities are different, but the spirit is the same. It is that spirit referred to when the Lord said, He that preacheth and he that receiveth understand one another, and both are edified and rejoice together. This great tabernacle seems to grow smaller each year. We meet with far larger groups gathered under a single roof in some regional conferences now. For instance, not long ago we were in the Tacoma, Washington region. There, on a Sunday morning, we had the privilege of speaking to 17,328 Latter-day Saints assembled together as one congregation. The acoustics were not as good as they are in this remarkable structure. Of course, there are far many more of you participating through the wonders of the electronic media than there are here on Temple Square. Increasingly, the tabernacle is becoming a broadcast studio from which these conference services go by radio, television, cable, satellites, and other resources to many tens of thousands of you in various parts of the world. They are now seen across the United States, Canada, and the Caribbean. They are carried to many areas of the British Isles and Europe. We hope that the time is not far distant when they can be carried live to the islands of the Pacific, to New Zealand and Australia, to the lands of Asia, to the nations of Mexico, Central America, and South America, 
As it is, however, more than half of the membership of the Church can, with a little effort, both see and hear me as I speak to you today. Just below where I speak, in the basement of the tabernacle, a large group of translators are at work so that each who wishes to hear may do so in his or her own language. I pay tribute to and express thanks for the tremendous services of these dedicated men and women who give so freely of their time and talents to this work of translation. The little stone which was cut out of the mound without hands is rolling forth to fill the earth. What a wonderful thing it is to be part of this growing kingdom of our Lord. There are no political boundaries separating the hearts of the children of God, regardless of where they may live. We are all of one great family. We are sons and daughters of God. We are engaged in the service of His beloved Son. He is our Redeemer and our Savior, and a testimony of this truth burns within our hearts. Each is entitled to such a testimony of this work. It is an individual knowledge of great fundamental truths that binds us together into what we call the Church and Kingdom of God. And so we gather each six months to renew our faith to enlarge our understanding of things divine, to express our love and respect one for another in this great and remarkable brotherhood and sisterhood which all of us know as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. With you I look forward to the services in which we shall participate today and tomorrow, praying that the Lord will bless us, each one of us, with the companionship of His Holy Spirit. I invoke the blessings of the Lord upon all who will speak, upon all who will sing, upon all who will offer prayers, and in a very particular way, with great love and appreciation in my heart, upon all who will listen by the voice of the Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Elder M. Russell Ballard will now speak to us. I've touched lightly on some of the serious problems which confront many of you sisters. With so much of sophistry that is passed off as truth, with so much of deception concerning standards and values, with so much of allurement and enticement to take on the slow stain of the world, we have felt to warn and forewarn. In furtherance of this, we of the First Presidency and the Council of the Twelve Apostles now issue a proclamation to the Church and to the world as a declaration and reaffirmation of standards, doctrines, and practices relative to the family which the prophets, seers, and revelators of this Church have repeatedly stated throughout its history. I now take the opportunity of reading to you this proclamation. We, the First Presidency and the Council of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, solemnly proclaim that marriage between a man and a woman 
woman is ordained of God and that the family is central to the Creator's plan for the eternal destiny of His children. All human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. It each is a beloved spirit son or daughter of heavenly parents, and as such each has a divine nature and destiny. Gender is an essential characteristic of individual premortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose. In the premortal realm, spirit sons and daughters knew and worshipped God as their eternal father and accepted his plan by which his children could obtain a physical body and gain earthly experience to progress toward perfection and ultimately realize his or her divine destiny as an heir of eternal life. The divine plan of happiness enables family relationships to be perpetuated beyond the grave. Sacred ordinances and covenants available in holy temples make it possible for individuals to return to the presence of God and for families to be united eternally. The first commandment that God gave to Adam and Eve pertained to their potential for parenthood as husband and wife. We declare that God's commandments for His children, commandment for His children to multiply and replenish the earth, remains in force. We further declare that God has commanded that the sacred powers of procreation are to be employed only between man and woman lawfully wedded as husband and wife. We declare the means by which mortal life is created to be divinely appointed. We affirm the sanctity of life and of its importance in God's eternal plan. Husband and wife have a solemn responsibility to love and care for each other and for their children. Children are an heritage of the Lord. Parents have a sacred duty to rear their children in love and righteousness, to provide for their physical and spiritual needs, to teach them to love and serve one another, to observe the commandments of God and to be law-abiding citizens wherever they live. Husbands and wives, mothers and fathers will be held accountable before God for the discharge of these obligations. The family is ordained of God. Marriage between man and woman is essential to His eternal plan. Children are entitled to birth within the bonds of matrimony and to be reared by a father and a mother who honor marital vows with complete fidelity. Happiness in family life is most likely to be achieved when founded upon the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Successful marriages and families are established and maintained on principles of faith, prayer, repentance, forgiveness, respect, love, compassion, work, and wholesome recreational activities. By divine design, fathers are to preside over their families in love and righteousness and are responsible to provide the necessities of life 
and protection for their families. Mothers are primarily responsible for the nurture of their children. In these sacred responsibilities, fathers and mothers are obligated to help one another as equal partners. Disability, death, or other circumstances may necessitate individual adaptation. Extended families should lend support when needed. We warn that individuals who violate covenants of chastity, who abuse spouse or offspring, or who fail to fulfill family responsibilities will one day stand accountable before God. Further, we warn that the, that the disintegration of the family will bring upon individuals, communities, and nations calam the calamities foretold by ancient and modern prophets. We call upon responsible citizens and officers of government everywhere to promote those measures designed to maintain and strengthen the family as the fundamental unit of society. Close of statement. We commend to all a careful, thoughtful, and prayerful reading of this proclamation. The strength of any nation is rooted within the walls of its homes. We urge our people everywhere to strengthen their families in conformity with these time-honored values. May the Lord bless you, my beloved sisters. You are the guardians of the hearth. You are the bearers of the children. You are they who nurture them and establish within them the habits of their lives. No other work reaches so close to divinity as does the nurturing of the, as of the sons and daughters of God. May you be strengthened for the challenges of the day. May you be endowed with wisdom beyond your own in dealing with the problems you constantly face. May your prayers and your pleadings be answered with blessings upon your heads and upon the heads of your loved ones. We leave with you our love and our blessing that your lives may be filled with peace and gladness. It can be so. Many of you can testify that it has been so. The Lord bless you now and through the years to come. I humbly pray in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I think this talk's going to prove a little long. I invite you to stay with me as long as you can. And if you young women have dates after this meeting and you're late, blame it on me. <laughs> I'm greatly honored in the invitation to participate with you. My beloved companion, Marjorie, would be better in addressing the Relief Society than I. I honor her as the Relief Society member of our family. And because of her and her activities, my appreciation for this great organization is enhanced. This has been a wonderful meeting. I commend to each of you all that we've heard.
from these very able leaders in whom we have total confidence. What a mighty congregation of women you are. There are three and a half million of you. You live in many lands and you speak with a variety of tongues, but you understand with a single heart. Each of you is a daughter of God. Reflect on all the wondrous meaning of that one paramount fact. He who is our eternal Father has blessed you with miraculous powers of mind and body. He never intended that you should be less than the crowning glory of His creations. I remind you of words spoken by the Prophet Joseph to the women of the Relief Society in April of 1842. Said he, If you live up to your privilege, the angels cannot be restrained from being your associates. What marvelous potential lies within you! This evening I look into the eyes of beautiful young women who dream of lives of accomplishment and happiness. I look into the eyes of mothers who carry in their hearts anxieties concerning their homes and their children. I look into the eyes of single parents whose burdens are so very heavy and who, in their loneliness, plead and pray for strength and companionship. I look into the eyes of grandmothers and great-grandmothers whose years are many, who have weathered the storms that have beat upon them, and who have drunk deeply from the waters of life, some of them brackish, some of them sweet. I am grateful for the presence of each one of you. I am grateful for the strength that you have and for your loyalty, your faith, your love. I am thankful for the resolution which you carry in your hearts to walk in faith, to keep the commandments, to do what is right at all times and in all circumstances. I believe this is the best season for women in all the history of the world, in opportunities for education, for the training of your hands and minds. There has never before been a time when doors were so widely opened to you as they are today. But neither has there been a time, at least in recent history, when you have been confronted with more challenging problems. I need not remind you that the world we are in is a world of turmoil, of shifting values. Shrill voices call out for one thing or another in betrayal of time-tested standards of behavior. The moral moorings of our society have been badly shaken. So many of the youth of the world, and likewise so many of their elders, listen only to the seductive voice of self-gratification. You single young women face tremendous challenges, and we know it is not easy for you. I cannot say enough of appreciation for your determination to live by the standards of the Church, to walk with the strength of virtue, to keep your minds above the slough of filth which seems to be moving like a flood across the world. Thank you for knowing there is a better way. Thank you for the will to say no. 
Thank you for the strength to deny temptation and look beyond and above to the shining light of your eternal potential. How bitter are the fruits of casting aside standards of virtue. The statistics are appalling. More than one-fourth of all children born in the United States are born out of wedlock, and the situation grows more serious. Of the teens who give birth, 46% will go on welfare within four years. Of unmarried teens who give birth, 73% will be on welfare within four years. I believe that it should be the blessing of every child to be born into a home where that child is welcomed, nurtured, loved, and blessed with parents, a father and a mother who live with loyalty to one another and to their children. I am sure that none of you younger women want less than this. Stand strong against the wiles of the world. The creators of our entertainment, the purveyors of much of our literature, would have you believe otherwise. The accumulated wisdom of centuries declares with clarity and certainty that the greater happiness, the greater security, the greater peace of mind, the deeper reservoirs of love are experienced only by those who walk according to time-tested standards of virtue before marriage and total fidelity within marriage. We pray that as you walk the paths of life, you will walk in ways that are straight, with the strength to conform even though those paths be narrow. There are those who would have us believe in the validity of what they choose to call same-sex marriage. Our hearts reach out to those who struggle with feelings of affinity for the same gender. We remember you before the Lord. We sympathize with you. We regard you as our brothers and our sisters. However, we cannot condone immoral practices on your part any more than we can condone immoral practices on the part of others. To you wives and mothers who work to maintain stable homes, where there is an environment of love and respect and appreciation, I say, the Lord bless you. Regardless of your circumstances, walk with faith. Rear your children in light and truth. Teach them to pray while they're young. Read to them from the scriptures, even though they may not understand all that you read. Teach them to pay their tithes and offerings on the first money they ever receive. Let this practice become a habit in their lives. Teach your sons to honor womanhood. Teach your daughters to walk in virtue. Accept responsibility in the Church and trust in the Lord to make you equal to any call you may receive. Your example will set a pattern for your children. Reach out in love to those in distress and need. Encourage your children to read more and watch television less. A study by the American Psychological Association figures that, ever, that the typical child watching 27 hours of TV a week will view 8,000 murders and 100,000 acts of violence 
from ages 3 to 12. Seek to establish an environment conducive to study in the home. An editorial in the Wall Street Journal reports on the scholastic superiority of ethnic Asians at the University of California at Berkeley. Speaking of the extraordinary accomplishments of these people, it says, the most important factor in the rise of this new American elite is the intense and devoted family relationships that typify the Asian home. They include respect for elders and high standards for children, including hard work at school and off-hours responsibilities that many times still include chores at a relative's business. It is the home which produces the nursery stock of new generations. I hope that you mothers will realize that when all is said and done, you have no more compelling responsibility nor any laden with greater rewards than the nurture you give your children in an environment of security, peace, companionship, love, and motivation to grow and do well. Now to you single mothers, whatever the cause of your present situation, our hearts reach out to you. We know that many of you live in loneliness, insecurity, worry, and fear. For most of you, there is never enough money. Your constant brooding worry is anxiety for your children and their futures. Many of you find yourselves in circumstances where you have to work and leave your children largely to their own devices. But if when they are very small there is much of affection, there is shown much of love, there is prayer together, then there will more likely be peace in the hearts and strength in the character of your children. Teach them the ways of the Lord, declared Isaiah. All thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. The more surely you rear your children in the ways of the gospel of Jesus Christ, with love and high expectation, the more likely that there will be peace in their lives. Set an example for them. That will mean more than all the teaching you can give them. Do not overindulge them. Let them grow up with respect for and understanding of the meaning of labor, of working and contributing to the home and its surroundings, with some way of earning some of their own expense money. Let your sons save for missions and encourage them to prepare themselves, not only financially but spiritually and in an attitude to go out to serve the Lord without selfishness of any kind. I do not hesitate to promise that if you will do so, you will have reason to count your blessings. I received a letter only this past Monday from which I read to you. This woman writes, Twenty years ago last June, I was expecting a new baby and had five other little children, nine years and under. My husband chose to leave our family and walk another path. 
I wish I could say I was a noble pioneer, but rather I was a naive, frightened, insecure young mother who did not know what to do and who daily made foolish mistakes. Nevertheless, I sought counsel from my leaders and obeyed, even when I knew their advice would make my life more complicated. I decided it was not for me to question and that if some advice caused temporary pain for me, it must be something I should experience. I remember reading President Kimball's monthly message in the Ensign, wherein he promised that if we would read the scriptures daily, that every problem we faced during the day would be answered within those holy pages. I thought, okay, President Kimball, you're on. I have lots of problems, and they sure do need answers. I gathered my children around me, and we studied daily. We prayed. We fasted for our daddy and ourselves. We held family home evening and attended our meetings. We forgave our daddy, and I literally gave my agency back to my Heavenly Father. I told him if I was not to have my husband for eternity, as I had originally thought, I would be pleased if he would change the love I had for him as a wife into a Christ-like love because I would rather die than go another minute hating or resenting the father of my children. I did not want to teach anger, hate, or bitterness to them. I knew my husband was basically a good man, full, full of potential and talent. He had made a terrible mistake, and I knew he would reap his own heartaches, and he has. But my personal task at hand was to care for these soon-to-be six children and to teach them in such a way that they could not misunderstand the gospel of Jesus Christ. I felt I had borne the heartbreak of losing my husband, but I could not bear it if I lost one precious child of God who had been entrusted to my care. I am humbly touched to report the Lord both heard and answered my prayers. The youngest of my four sons is presently serving a mission. He joins his other three brothers and a sister who have seen fit to share their testimonies literally all over the world. My oldest daughter married a returned missionary in the temple. The three oldest boys have been elders quorum presidents and ward mission leaders. The two daughters <coughs> excuse me, have served in a primary presidency and relief society presidency. Four of those beautiful children have found wonderful eternal companions and have been married in the temple. They are on the right track and have tasted the joy of service to a small degree. President Hinckley, she continues, this is a miracle, if ever there was a miracle. The Lord protected and nurtured those children. He answered their prayers. The Lord saw fit to provide me with a second husband, and we were sealed in the temple. We have been a family. Was the way easy? No. There were a million troubles to iron out. But with the scriptures as our iron rod resource, 
prayer as our foundation, and obedience as our determined pathway, my children are learning to trust in the Lord with all their hearts and lean not upon their own understanding. I do not share our story with you, she writes, to brag of myself, but I certainly can boast in the Lord. The Atonement is very real for us. Wounded hearts have been healed. Confidence has been restored. Peace has been tasted in a most delicious way. Indeed, as you have said, every principle God has revealed carries its own conviction of its truth. I think of my first husband, if he could only realize he has already paid the price for his mistake. He missed the joy of seeing his talented children grow up in the Lord. He missed their school and church achievements and their mission farewells and reports, all that makes life beautiful. How thankful I am that I was privileged to be by their sides. She concludes, I know there are many single parents in the world today. How I wish I could help them see that they must never waste time reliving their own tender injuries. I have found if you cast your burden at the Savior's feet, He will carry it for you and replace anguish with love. May the Lord bless you and your family always with deepest love and appreciation. And she signs the letter. Now to you grandmothers and great-grandmothers, may I say just a word? Tremendous has been your experience. Tremendous is your understanding. You can be as an anchor in a world of shifting values. You have lived long, buffered and polished by the adversities of life through which you passed. Quiet are your ways, deliberate your counsel. You dearly beloved women are such treasures in this topsy-turvy society. God bless you. May your waiting years be filled with sunshine, with the love of those whom you love, and with love for the Lord. I've touched lightly on some of the serious problems which confront many of you sisters. With so much of sophistry that is passed off as truth, with so much of deception concerning standards and values, with so much of allurement and enticement to take on the slow stain of the world, we have felt to warn and forewarn. In furtherance of this, we of the First Presidency and the Council of the Twelve Apostles now issue a proclamation to the Church and to the world as a declaration and reaffirmation of standards, doctrines, and practices relative to the family which the prophets, seers, and revelators of this Church have repeatedly stated throughout its history. I now take the opportunity of reading to you this proclamation. We, the First Presidency and the Council of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, solemnly proclaim that marriage between a man and a woman, woman is ordained of God 
and that the family is central to the Creator's plan for the eternal destiny of His children. All human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. It each is a beloved spirit son or daughter of heavenly parents, and as such each has a divine nature and destiny. Gender is an essential characteristic of individual premortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose. In the premortal realm, spirit sons and daughters knew and worshipped God as their eternal father and accepted his plan by which his children could obtain a physical body and gain earthly experience to progress toward perfection and ultimately realize his or her divine destiny as an heir of eternal life. The divine plan of happiness enables family relationships to be perpetuated beyond the grave. Sacred ordinances and covenants available in holy temples make it possible for individuals to return to the presence of God and for families to be united eternally. The first commandment that God gave to Adam and Eve pertained to their potential for parenthood as husband and wife. We declare that God's commandments for His children, commandment for His children to multiply and replenish the earth, remains in force. We further declare that God has commanded that the sacred powers of procreation are to be employed only between man and woman lawfully wedded as husband and wife. We declare the means by which mortal life is created to be divinely appointed. We affirm the sanctity of life and of its importance in God's eternal plan. Husband and wife have a solemn responsibility to love and care for each other and for their children. Children are an heritage of the Lord. Parents have a sacred duty to rear their children in love and righteousness, to provide for their physical and spiritual needs, to teach them to love and serve one another, to observe the commandments of God, and to be law-abiding citizens wherever they live. Husbands and wives, mothers and fathers will be held accountable before God for the discharge of these obligations. The family is ordained of God. Marriage between man and woman is essential to His eternal plan. Children are entitled to birth within the bonds of matrimony and to be reared by a father and a mother who honor marital vows with complete fidelity. Happiness in family life is most likely to be achieved when founded upon the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Successful marriages and families are established and maintained on principles of faith, prayer, repentance, forgiveness, respect, love, compassion, work, and wholesome recreational activities. By divine design, fathers are to preside over their families in love and righteousness and are responsible to provide the necessities of life and protection for their families. 
Mothers are primarily responsible for the nurture of their children. In these sacred responsibilities, fathers and mothers are obligated to help one another as equal partners. Disability, death, or other circumstances may necessitate individual adaptation. Extended families should lend support when needed. We warn that individuals who violate covenants of chastity, who abuse spouse or offspring, or who fail to fulfill family responsibilities will one day stand accountable before God. Further, we warn that the, that the disintegration of the family will bring upon individuals, communities, and nations the calamities foretold by ancient and modern prophets. We call upon responsible citizens and officers of government everywhere to promote those measures designed to maintain and strengthen the family as the fundamental unit of society. Close of statement. We commend to all a careful, thoughtful, and prayerful reading of this proclamation. The strength of any nation is rooted within the walls of its homes. We urge our people everywhere to strengthen their families in conformity with these time-honored values. May the Lord bless you, my beloved sisters. You are the guardians of the hearth. You are the bearers of the children. You are they who nurture them and establish within them the habits of their lives. No other work reaches so close to divinity as does the nurturing of the, as of the sons and daughters of God. May you be strengthened for the challenges of the day. May you be endowed with wisdom beyond your own in dealing with the problems you constantly face. May your prayers and your pleadings be answered with blessings upon your heads and upon the heads of your loved ones. We leave with you our love and our blessing that your lives may be filled with peace and gladness. It can be so. Many of you can testify that it has been so. The Lord bless you now and through the years to come. I humbly pray in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.